Hi, this is Carla Allen, host of School Counseling Opportunities and Professional Engagement, also known as SCOPE. I am a professional school counselor, currently a coordinator of counseling services for my school division, and adjunct professor for counselor education at a local university, Virginia Commonwealth. Go Rams! We will be discussing topics relevant to current trends in school counseling and ideas on how to provide support to one another. For questions, comments, or discussion topics, email me at vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Again, that's vscaprofdevelopment at gmail.com. Welcome to Scope. School Counselor Opportunity and Professional Engagement Scope. From the third floor. Today I'm interviewing Paige Abisolo, an elementary school counselor at an extra-large elementary school. The reason I chose Paige for an interview is because she has been through the RAMP process, which is the Recognize ASCA model program, and she achieved this status two years ago for her school. Not only did Paige achieve RAMP, she was also named in the top six schools of distinction for her year, which means she was one of the top six schools in the country. Paige has so many great experiences that she's going to share with us today and tell us how she managed to go through the ramp process in her extra-large elementary school. Welcome to the third floor, Paige. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. I am so happy to have you here today, Paige. It's by, um, one of my favorite things to do when I'm talking to school counselors is to find out from them How did you get into the field of school counseling? Um, What was the moment when you knew, hey, this is the job that I want to do? Well, initially, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology. I think people are extremely fascinating. I'm a huge people watcher. And I specifically liked working with children and was very interested in child development. So I got my undergrad degree in psychology and then my teaching license to teach pre-kindergarten through fourth grade. Wow. So how did that go along with psychology that you ended up with pre-K to fourth grade? (laughs) Well, um, the, I always was drawn to working with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was little, I wanted to be Miss America. And then when I was... <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> that didn't work out, just saying. <laughs> um, and then I thought in high school, oh, I'll be a marine biologist. But chemistry and I were not friends. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so um, I really was still drawn to working with children because I did a lot of volunteer work, a lot mm-hmm. of uh, working with kids when I was in high school. And so the child development aspect was really interesting to me. And uh, teaching and working with kids was super interesting. So I taught for 10 years, and it was within that 10-year period when I was working in Texas. And I was working in a Title I school, and I was teaching second grade. And I just really was excited how developing relationships with those kids went a long way. And during that time, however, I had two students in that same class within the same year be sexually assaulted. Oh, my And we're talking about seven-year-olds. Yes. Yes. Two within the same year. And I knew that these children had needs that needed to be supported. And I felt like I was meeting the needs of the kids in that particular classroom, but I wanted to reach further. Mm -hmm. I wanted to work with children uh, on a bigger level. 
in a bigger number of kids. And so I wanted to work with the whole school. And I felt like school counseling was my calling. And so I went and I went to work on my master's while I was teaching in Texas. Well, I think so many of us in this quote, age bracket, have that similar journey because I also was a former classroom teacher and I found that I loved hanging out with the kids and being with them more than I did, quote, teaching them things. Right. And also did the same thing of going back to school at night and getting a counseling degree because I knew that was my calling as well, was to spend more time with them and to make Mm -hmm. a bigger impact. Yes. So once you then became a school counselor, talk about your career journey and how you ended up from point A to point, what, C, D, or E, or where you are right now. (laughs) Well, I consider I'm going to go all the way to Z and infinity because I'm continually um, wanting to grow as a person and professionally. So I would say um, I once I got my master's in school counseling. I worked a a year in Texas, and then I moved to another area in Virginia, an urban area. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I grew personally from that experience, working with kids that were experiencing trauma on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about who I was as a person And there were three things that I learned, and this is working not only with the children, but the families. Mm -hmm. So I learned never make assumptions about others. Right. Everyone has a story, Mm -hmm. and that underneath any anger is fear, frustration, or sadness. And I realized that I would have parents coming into my office using choice words with me, Mm -hmm. being very irate, and as I listened... And I actually listened to them as they began to tell me their stories and they felt heard. You would see this anger turn to mm-hmm. to sadness many times. And by the end of that conversation, they would be in tears. Wow. And uh, it's just so many things like that. So many examples of those experiences that I had working in that urban area that made me realize I need to step back a minute and really reevaluate how I see people mm-hmm. and the situations wow. that they're in. I think that's true for every walk of life, not just for school counselors, but that's some really valuable tips that you shared with us just then. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. So then from your urban school environment, and you said you learned a lot about yourself, what was mm-hmm. the next career move you made from there? Well, I, I went to a completely different environment. So I'm at a large school, and it's continuing to grow, elementary school. Well, as I mentioned, it's an extra large school. It is extra large. (laughs) Almost 800 kids, and y'all are projected to have close to 900 over the next year or two. Yes. It's an extra large elementary school. Lots of subdivisions being built, lots of families coming in. Uh, I would say um, then, from that point, going into the suburban school, the needs were different. So tell us some of those different needs in a suburban school. Um, Where is in the urban setting, a a lot of um, the issues that were coming to me were usually situational set uh, situation situational situations, mm-hmm. but I mean they were situations that were traumatic events that happened, right. and um, so I dealt with them in that way. And then when I came to this particular school, I saw a ton of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Tons of anxiety, issues with self-esteem, just more mental health issues. Um, And the thing about it is, 
I thought, well, is this is definitely a different setting, but they're all children that have needs. Right. And the needs are still there and need and the kids need to be supported. It's just that the needs are look different. Mm-hmm. And I think too, sometimes we associate trauma or possibly home issues. Mm-hmm. Dealing with poverty, mm-hmm. but just because um, you don't have money doesn't mean you don't have issues as well. So Correct. these kids, even though they might come from a more affluent area, mm-hmm. they still have ongoing issues. They just tend to keep them all private behind closed doors. And I think that's where you stepped in to say, hey, just because this is a more affluent community mm-hmm. doesn't mean the needs are not here as well. Exactly. So as you are in this new school situation, you talked about how you grew as a school counselor in an urban area. Mm -hmm. How are some ways you've grown professionally um, since you transitioned to a more suburban, larger elementary school? I felt um, when I came to this uh, particular school, I was able to do more counseling Mm -hmm. duties. I had uh, lots of administrative support. And when I came in, there wasn't a school program that was developed at all. It was a fairly new school and I was coming in and I was basically starting from scratch. Wow. That's a burden and a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) It it sure was. And I'm like, okay, so here I am and I'm, I'm trying to review everything that I learned in my master's courses. And I was able to develop Core curriculum lessons, mm-hmm. which is uh, also considered guidance lessons, and and also to be able not just to have individual counseling, which I was used to having a lot of that when I was in the urban area, but I could create small groups. So I really felt like I was utilizing more counseling techniques mm-hmm. and interventions Good. working at the school. So let's talk about RAMP. I know for a lot of us, when we talk about RAMP, we think, oh, Pages in this huge school. How in the world would she have time, or what would, <clears throat> excuse me, inspire her to go through the ramp process? So, what happened that one day you said, "I want to try for ramp." Well, I'm a huge nerd. I'm just going to say that <laughs> um, I'm always addicted to learning, and I'm always wanting to improve. And at when I started working and developing the school counseling program, I was not familiar with the Ask a National model or the RAMP process at all. I when I graduated in 2003, mm-hmm. um, the spring of 2003, and really the Ask a National model came out within 2002. So it still was kind of new at the time. And so that information wasn't necessarily a key component in my right. education. However, uh, someone came to me and said, hey, Paige, you have this uh, program that you've developed, and you actually have some components mm-hmm. that fall under the Ask a National model. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll program, but make it a better program for kids. And that is really what the bottom line is for me all the time. So I decided to go ahead and see what it was all about and uh, and work towards applying for ramp. Wow. So once you started that process, so you go from not even really understanding what a comprehensive counseling program was, jumping, well, let's just say you just dove in at first into the ramp process. What was your biggest challenge you encountered mm. as you started? Well, I'm going to have to tell you, um, trying to wrap my brain around what a school counseling goal would look like and then the data that went with it. 
And I'll be quite honest, I got to the point where it was extremely frustrating. And quite honestly, I almost quit the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know how goals aligned with school goals. And uh, one thing I'd learned from that about myself is I just took a step back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a minute and then I'm going to start up again. So I just learned that I could persevere mm-hmm. through that. So when we say the word data for a lot of us, <laughs> that's the big deterrent. So yes. um, how, what helps you to learn to embrace the data and understand that that was a part of the process and that's how you could grow your program and help your students? When I started understanding data, and I actually think this sounds kind of crazy, but I understood data before I really understand the whole concept of the goal, because I was able to get information from pre- and post-tests that I might have done with the small group, or I might have surveyed a class and gotten their opinions on some of the core curriculum lessons. And from that feedback that I got from kids and from those assessments, I started realizing that I was making a difference Mm -hmm. and that what I was doing was effective. At that time, however, I didn't know exactly how I could align what I was doing with the school. And I kind of worked my way into starting to understand that as I went along with the process. I think what you just said is key because um, so many times as school counselors, we're just doing the work all day long. And how do you measure if you're making a difference? And that's where the Mm -hmm. data piece comes in. And then, Paige, as you got through the journey, I think you've seen that data tie-in with your school improvement goals, working with your school Mm -hmm. improvement team and Mm -hmm. looking at the areas the the outcome data of the attendance, achievement, and behavior. So not only did you look at the small pre- and post-test pieces of data that Mm -hmm. you're impacting, but how you're impacting that community as a whole. Yes. And seeing, I always say, a piece of data or those numbers, every single one of those numbers represents a child. And if we look at it that way, that Mm -hmm. all those children need what we're doing, Mm -hmm. it's not just a number sitting there that represents a child in our building. Mm -hmm. That helps us to be inspired and empowered to work a little bit better on the data pieces. So we do know that we're doing what's best for all of our kids. Yes. And I am a big believer in um, equity versus mm-hmm. equality. And Well, explain what that means for and those in our audience who may not understand the difference. Okay. So um, at my school, we have a lot of high-achieving students, but then we also have a pocket of students that struggle they have challenges with academics or social-emotional issues. So the key to figuring out what goals you want to set for your school is determining where is the need. And so by figuring out where the need is, you can look at your school data, school-wide data, which would be SOL test, attendance, um, discipline records. Mm -hmm. So looking at that, you can hone in on what populations of students really need that support. So you can provide a a tier or layer of support for all the students such as core curriculum lessons, but then you have those pockets of kids that might need additional layers of support, whether with small groups and or individual counseling. Mm -hmm. And even though that pocket of kids might be a fewer number of kids than we're looking at as the whole picture, we're providing the amount of support that's necessary for student success for all the students because we're meeting their needs where mm-hmm. they need to be met. Oh, that's beautiful. I love how you described that. So you mentioned earlier that 
in the ramp process, you were discouraged and felt like you were ready to quit. So tell us what was the moment that inspired you to keep going? I think it was just realizing, utilizing data, once I figured some of that out, that I was making a difference. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I could measure it, and I could prove it, and I could justify it. And take it to my administrator and say, hey, mm-hmm. this is what, what we're doing here. It, it was, it's really cool. Yeah. So um, we also have personal lives that are ongoing while these huge work challenges are happening. And um, I've asked you prior, if you don't mind sharing yeah. a little, little bit of this, but you ha- were also experiencing some really hard personal experiences while the ramp process was going on. So talk about that work-life balance and what that felt like for you going through a really difficult personal time, if you don't mind sharing that. That's fine. Um, So the whole ramp experience for me was bittersweet. Um, What The school year that I utilized for the ramp application was the school year 2015-2016. And prior to that school year, my dad had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and um, so my sis- one of my sisters would take care of him during the week, and I would provide respite for her and help take care of him on the weekends. Well, my dad would do it. He slept a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, while I was caring for him on the weekends, I would be working on my ramp application. And I remember specifically my dad saying, are you still working? Are you still working on that? thing that you're working on and I would try to explain what ramp was and basically I said it's just a way of it's kind of a certification it's sort of if you do ramp it shows that you have a really good school counseling program so um, it provided a distraction for me it gave me something to indulge in and focus on while I was dealing with the emotions and seeing my dad deteriorate And so um, during that school year that I was working on ramp, he passed away Mm -hmm. during the middle of the school year. Mm -hmm. And it it was very sad because um, when I got, I found out that uh, the school received ramp recognition, that he wasn't there to, to act physically there to see that happen. My dad told me how proud he was. Oh, yeah. Wow. Before he passed away, because he saw me working wow. so much on this. And I know that was all intertwined for you and that personal experience and writing while he was there. And <sighs> that gave you something to focus on. Definitely. And I felt like it was a victory for you and for him, because he was there supporting and encouraging. And when you were notified that you got it, mm-hmm. um, such a huge deal. And I, I went to Denver with you. And walking into that convention center and seeing your school's name right there on the Walk of Fame, and I saw yes. how overwhelmed you were. Yes. And you honestly were brought to tears. I took your picture right there because that moment meant so much yes. to you. Yes, um, Not just the ramp piece, but that you did that for your dad. Yeah, yeah. I was crying like a baby. <laughs> I was sobbing. It was beautiful. It, yeah. But it was, it was just a, um, it was a, really special moment. Well, thank you so much for sharing that personal piece of it because I know when we always say we have things going on and life is busy, Mm -hmm. but you are in the worst moments Mm -hmm. there with your dad and um, he helped you get through it. I love to hear that story. 
So for any of us, why in the world would, would a school counselor want to apply for a RAMP? RAMP provides purpose and direction for an effective school counseling program. It measures the success or lack of success of intervention. And if you're having uh, intervention that doesn't work, then you go back, you, you revise it, and try it again. And it also measures student success. And that's the biggest aha moment when that data can provide that proof of some of the qualitative work that you do, and it's able to be put into quantitative measures mm-hmm. and to be used as justification for why certain interventions need to be occurring in your school mm-hmm. program. So school it really program. just helps you to hone in on why you need to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of, I feel like we do drive-by counseling so many times. We walk in and things happen. We react. We take care of it at the end of the day. You look back and think, what did I actually accomplish today? (laughs) Nothing got done off my to-do list, but it really helps you hone in on those goals. So at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, you can see that you did make progress. You did run those small groups. You did have that core curriculum lesson. And you do have data from the kids showing that it made a difference. Mm-hmm. With perception data from teachers, that those behavioral issues are getting better. That your principal sees that you're helping with those attendance issues where kids aren't coming to school. That helps you to see why I'm doing this every day. Exactly. Instead exactly. of the drive-by piece. So, <laughs> yeah. so let's talk about... Um, once the results came back, not only not only did you achieve RAMP, but you are a school of distinction, which is one of the top six schools in the country. That was crazy the day yeah. that we found that out. So what has all that meant for you? What kind of th- things have been brought to you because of that um, honor? Well, um, one of the things I'll have to say when I got that, it, it was great affirmation that the planning and implementation of the school counseling program at the school directly was aligned and accurate with what the ASCA national model components are. I was like, I'm on the right track. And I was really excited because I'm like, okay, this is a school counseling program that is set up the way it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do for kids. And so there was some um, publicity locally about uh, the school receiving ramp, which was great. I felt like it was an opportunity to educate and advocate the community about the roles of school counselors, what true responsibilities of school counselors are, and how the school counseling program fits in as a support for creating student success. Oh, that's beautiful. And... What, what did you, um, I, every time I turn around, I feel like you're speaking somewhere or <laughs> I hear you on a webinar. What are some of the other things that have come about because of you achieving RAMP and getting the school distinction honor? Well, one of the things that I enjoy doing is I love to learn from others, but I also te- like to teach mm-hmm. and like to assist. And um, I like to assist people who are interested in what the Ask a National Model is, and what the RAMP process is. And some of the things that I felt were difficult for me in the process, I've created, I've tried to create presentations 
to give to people who are interested in the process presentations that are visual, visual and put in layman's terms to help them understand the school counseling goal mm-hmm. and data and those kinds of things. I try to put it in a way that it's easier to absorb and not be so overwhelming. Right. So and it's you, been fun. you presented at ASCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen you presenting at VSCA. And mm-hmm. I must also add that you were um, the elementary school counselor of the year for VSCA last year. Mm-hmm. So um, not only was the honor from the national organization, but the state of Virginia School Counseling Association also saw what you had accomplished. Mm-hmm. And um, you achieved that. And your our principal was elementary principal of the year for VSCA as well. Yes. So it was... Uh, well recognize all the work that you and your principal had put in to um, get to this status. Um, that I like that we talked about the impact for you professionally, but what did the ramp process do for your kids and your community? What has it done for them that they've seen a difference in your school or know more about it? Well, one of the things that, and it, you could see it in the ramp data, is that we had um, less discipline referrals wow. to to the office, mm-hmm. uh, and we we had groups of kids improve their SOL scores. Wow! So we we were and they some of them were very minute changes, but change takes time. It, a big change takes time to accomplish, and I figure if we've even got one student who's come to school on time or one less student who is going to be in the office for discipline referral, that is progress within itself. Mm -hmm. It's just one child at a time. That is. So when your community became um, more educated, and as you say, you advocated more for your role, what changes have you seen with your community, with parents approaching you? Oh, um, and this, I actually gathered data last year for my school advisory council to present to them. In comparing last year's data with the previous year's data, we um, at the school looked at where our referrals were coming from for student referrals for school counseling, whether it be small groups or individual. And we had a huge increase in the number of parents who were calling and requesting mm-hmm. to have the school counselors intervene for their children. Wow. So, um, and having the, and another key piece too is having the school, um, school counselor advisory board was a, a big plus mm-hmm. too because we had more community involvement right. too. So, uh, another big moment that occurred um, after this, you were on the master schedule rotation mm-hmm. at an extra large elementary school. Mm-hmm. So a huge portion of your day was spent in the classroom mm-hmm. and you weren't really able to run those small groups as you needed or the kids needed mm-hmm. who had referrals, who were having um, self-regulation issues or things like that. So um, after you achieved ramp status and showed your numbers, mm-hmm. what happened about the master schedule? <laughs> well, um, that's where the power of data comes into play. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to equality and equity. So what we were looking at were the kids, the pocket of kids that really had the, the needs. 
And when we went back to look at the data for the number of kids that were coming in for individual counseling, we noticed that out of, we had over 100 kids come in for individual counseling, and 60-some percent of those kids were coming back for repeat visits mm-hmm. um, or for a series of visits. And we realized that a lot of the kids that were coming individually had similar issues. And the strategies that were happening, that were occurring for these kids were very similar. So it made, and so we had over 200 and some individual visits. Wow. And that, that not only includes um, the large number of core curriculum lessons mm-hmm. that was being taught. So um, we, we went to our, um, uh, it's me and another itinerant counselor. Mm-hmm. So we went to the administration and we said, well, we think our time would be better suited by working in small groups and condensing those kids that were seen, being seen individually into small groups and being able to do the same interventions for them because they all had the similar issues mm-hmm. and work with them in that way. And the way that I also explained it was the analogy that students who have difficulty with reading sometimes have an extra reading specialist that helps mm-hmm. them with their reading. Right. Those children that have difficulty with math have, mm-hmm. a, have a specialist sometimes that works with them. Right. What about those kids that have they are weakness in social-emotional right. areas? There needs to be someone to help them with that mm-hmm. because it does correlate with student success, academic success, uh, whether they are having uh, issues socially, emotionally or not. Mm-hmm. So, again, an example of data mm-hmm. and how data improved the program, and now you're able to help more students because mm-hmm. as this is your first year off of the master schedule mm-hmm. and you're running small groups for mm-hmm. those kids um, mm-hmm. Instead of doing all those individual meetings that you're just trying to plug in in between classroom mm-hmm. lessons. So, again, when we hear the word data and we kind of cold shiver because that sounds like a scary thing for us. <laughs> it was for me. In the, the power beginning. of data impacts kids' lives. And I, I know that seems, I don't know, maybe a little extreme, but it really does. Because we're able then to do the programs we need to them because we were able to show exactly. our administration and our leaders through these numbers of why the kids need us uh, to be able to not be testing, to not doing master schedule, but mm-hmm. to do the roles that we were meant to do. So I know there are a lot of school counselors out there who are struggling. You know, burnout is pretty high right mm-hmm. now, um, especially for smaller school divisions who are still doing testing. Mm-hmm. They're still doing reactive work instead of proactive work. So what are uh, what is the message of hope, Paige, that you can share <laughs> with our school counseling audience um, some words of wisdom that you would like to share with us today. Well, the, I think one of the most frustrating struggles for school counselors, from what I understand, uh, from my experiences presenting and going to conferences and meeting all the cool counselors, <laughs> is the buy-in from the administration. Mm-hmm. A lot of the um, administrators sometimes still do not understand what the role of the school counselor is. Mm-hmm. They still think we're going back to old school guidance counselors, and that's completely not what we do now. It's so much more. My thought is for those counselors to be able to choose a goal 
let's say to me would probably be easiest would be a discipline goal. And think about a, a population or a group of students who tend to go to the office on a frequent basis. And we don't have to talk about a huge number of kids. We mm-hmm. can talk with a sample of kids. Right. Provide an intervention like a small group intervention and then kind of follow the kids to see if there's an improvement in them not going to the office as much. And if you can create an intervention and have a goal that you want to set, let's say decrease the number of students that receive discipline referrals by so many percent, and you do the interventions and then you take the data, if you can prove that that's effective just by one small goal and working with one sampling of kids can show the administration that the work that school counselors do is effective and just think how that would look if it were on a larger scale and be mm-hmm. able to, for school counselors to provide more direct uh, and direct uh, work with students and uh, how, that, how that could build an amazing school program that supports not the academic piece of education for kids. Mm-hmm. That is so true because we get in the building, as I was mentioning, with the drive-by counseling, and we forget why we became school mm-hmm. counselors because we get the angry phone calls or we get called into another meeting and we're maybe doing testing and we're 504 coordinators <laughs> and we're behind the computer trying to catch up on everything and we forget why we were called to do this. Mm-hmm. So doing that one small step helps you remember why you're mm-hmm. there, that you're impacting a small group of kids and you're advocating for them mm-hmm. and helps you to remember back to your uh, program to say, why did I do this to begin with? So thank you for that little tidbit on just how to renew our hope in mm-hmm. our day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. So there are two questions I will ask everyone I interview. Okay. Uh, my first question is, which I think is so important for all of us, um, share with us what you do for self-care. Okay, I sleep a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm do. a big, I'm a huge napper, and um, I just, I have to get my eight hours of sleep, mm-hmm. or I am no good right. the next day. I really think that's really a huge um, thing for me personally. Mm-hmm. And I've got to get my mani-pedi. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do that twice a month. Well, they can't see your nails, but they look amazing. They're a beautiful forest green color. Forest green. You, you know, they might be blaze hunter orange next week. Right. You don't ever know. <laughs> you know, it's I'm always full of surprises. Mm-hmm. And um, I just laugh. At, I laugh a lot. You do. Uh, and I find <laughs> the, the smallest things funny because it's either laugh and you know, stay sane or just mm-hmm. cry and go crazy. And mm-hmm. I would rather just laugh and try to keep my sanity. Right. And I think that's why um, when the, all the counselors are hanging out, you're in there <laughs> laughing and leading the laughter because yeah. we all speak common language. And I think that's important mm-hmm. also to be in community with other school counselors and share those moments. That's mm-hmm. why I love going to conference. That's why I love going to workshops, to hang out with our people. And we can laugh about nothing because oh, nobody gets it but us. Right. So right. you're right. In Laughter our own important. little world of counseling, yes. Exactly. So my last question, what are you reading right now and why? Well, oh my gosh, I love Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. She rocks. I'm going to just say that. I'm reading The Gifts of Imperfection. And 
she talks, and I've just started it, but it, it's just so relevant to, to me personally and to what counselors do. She talks about living a wholehearted life, and she feels that people who feel a deep sense of love and belonging um, is the belief that they have, that they're worthy, mm-hmm. and that they're enough, and not worrying about what other people think and letting that go. And having the courage to be vulnerable. And I, I really think that can describe how we are as school counselors. Mm-hmm. I think as school counselors, sometimes we we do things that we know that are good for kids, and sometimes it's not understood by other people. And we love what we do, and we, t- and we take any criticism that occurs personally. And I can speak on, maybe a parent doesn't understand what we're doing, or a parent um, is coming to you and being critical about what you do. But it's, it's if at the end of the day, you know what's best for kids, and you're doing what's best for kids, that should be enough. And knowing that and feeling worthy of what you do for kids every single day should be a reward to your own self. Wow, I love that. Paige, I have so enjoyed hanging out on the third floor with you today. And you, just in this little bit of time, have inspired me. And I hope you your words empower others to go out and do the job of school counseling. So thank you for joining me today on the third floor. Thank you. All right. Have a good afternoon, everyone.